0: The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. This is part two in a conversation with my friend Ron Johnson. Now, I have long wanted to do an audio interview with him, but I knew full well it would require a lot more than just one hour, so I am doing a series of audio interviews that will be basically be one big long interview and right now you know I'm really not sure how many interviews it'll take but I am certain there will be at least three and there will probably be more (laughs) maybe a few more I'm I'm not sure now in the first episode which was posted last week Ron talked about the events in his childhood as well as a few ghost hunting stories and on this episode, we will talk about his Bigfoot research, which is fascinating. And there's some paranormal stuff in there that is is nearly beyond belief. And we will also talk about some of his encounters as a young adult. And we also talk about an owl experience. I actually have a couple of them. Now, Ron is a very soft-spoken man. And there is a shy side to him. And when I first met him back in 2008 or maybe 2009... I would never have expected him to come forward and be so open with his experiences. When I met him, he was very reticent, and he was very shy about sharing his experiences. And I have seen a powerful change in him over the last decade. And I can sense there is a need in him to get these stories out. As I said earlier, this is part two in a series of interviews. This conversation was recorded on Tuesday, September 2nd, 2020. Please enjoy. Hey, let's um continue on in a little bit with your the stories from your youth, but I want to ask one question because it just points to, um, like the multiplicity of this phenomenon around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a story about, um, uh, your friend Daryl Smith, and yeah, <laughs> and and I would love to hear this. You sent this to me in a written form, and I read it uh, just a little bit before we did the interview. And I would love to hear it right now, if you could. Okay,
1: yeah. Um, okay, do you know you know Marley Spinlove?
0: I've met her. Yes, you introduced me to her at a conference years ago. Yes.
1: Yeah, she you, at the time she was a. Uh, the assistant director to MUFON for Utah. And she has this uh, monthly group meeting, this paranormal group, and I belong to it. And uh, there was one person in there, Daryl Smith, that uh, his topic was always Bigfoot. Whenever he'd come to the meeting, all he'd talk about is Bigfoot. (laughs) And uh, he was a pretty prominent researcher here in Utah, and I became good friends with him. And we started going out and looking for Bigfoot evidence together after this and became real good friends. And and we would go out, look for Bigfoot evidence and stuff. And after it was three years, after working with him for three years, He contacted ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, Mm -hmm. and uh, he became uh, uh, bedridden and couldn't go out anymore and uh, was having a difficult time breathing. and, And so anyways, the last time I saw him before he died, I interviewed him for about an hour and a half. And this was like a week after that he died, but he told me that if there's any way possible, I'm going to come back and I'm going to visit you. And if I can find out what Bigfoot is and relay this to you, I'm going to do it. And so I said, I, I would expect nothing less. If it it was me in your position, I would tell you the same thing. And so it was three months after he died, I got this dream. I had this dream. And in this dream, Daryl Smith, he came to me, and he told me, he says, Ron, he says, I know all about Bigfoot. You're going to be totally amazed at what he is and who he is. But he says, "I cannot tell you. Uh, I can't divulge you know divulge any of this information to anybody."
0: Wow, wait a minute. So it's like there's like a special secret pact that you ha- that you have even after passing.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. Okay, keep going. And another connection to the afterlife. <laughs> and so he says, "Be prepared. Something wonderful is going to happen to you." Be prepared. And then I woke up, and I was thinking, wow, I wonder what this is. And so, God, how long was that? I think it was about another two, three months goes by. This is in uh, May of 2012. Actually, it was May 5th, 2012. A friend of mine, Philip Jensen, he works at one of the coal mines up here in the uh, Book Cliffs. And he was a truck loadout boss. And don't worry, he, he gave me permission to use his name and stuff. And, and Philip, he was going home from work one day, and he saw this. He thought it was a bear at first, but when he stopped his truck... And got out, this bear stood up and he said it looked like a big gorilla. And, and then it walked off. And this was on the side of the road. And so he got in the truck and went home, got his wife and came back up there. And they stayed there till dark, looking around, trying to find footprints and stuff, but didn't really see anything. So he sent me a, an email and told me that he, of his possible sighting. And I told him that I would go up there and start looking for evidence. And so I went up there, and for five days, I'd go up there, not see nothing. No hair on the fences, no footprints, nothing. And so I kind of was thinking about giving up, And I happened to be in Price, and I stopped off at my cousin's house. And I asked him if he wanted to go up and see where the Bigfoot sighting was. And sure, yeah, he said, I'll go. And so I took him up there and didn't have any cameras, didn't have nothing with me. We just drove up in my car. (laughs) And uh, I'll be darned, we saw him. He was off the side of the road, and we both saw him. I didn't have a camera with us to take pictures or nothing.
0: Did <laughs> describe what you saw. And
1: it was a uh, it was a Sasquatch type creature. It was a biped on you know on two feet. He was approximately eight and a half foot tall. Uh, he had a great big head with And he had this kind of, not real long, but this, it was probably the hair on him was probably about four or five inches long in length. Mm -hmm. And it was matted. Uh, there was gray hair mixed in with it, making it look old, uh, had real deep, uh, set eyes, uh, real prominent brow bones, uh, had a uh, flat a huge flat nose and what was weird is it was when it was standing there watching us, I could see its teeth and it had like great big humongous teeth and they, they stuck out like, like buck teeth. Mm-hmm. And uh this thing it never moved, never made a noise, just stood there watching us. And so we stopped my Jeep. I had my chin up against the steering wheel and I'm looking out the windshield down towards where this biped is standing. And my cousin is sitting there looking at it and he's just getting excited. Ron, 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 do you see it? Do you see it? You know, I says, yeah, I see it. And I says, get out of the Jeep very slowly. So I got out and very quietly, slowly shut the door. And then when I looked up, he was gone. And my cousin said, said, should we go down there? Should we go down there and see it. See if we can see something? And I go, okay, let's go down there. So we started to walk down there. And as soon as we got off the road, I got this telepathic message to uh, stay back. Do not approach. And I told my cousin, I says I'm getting a a message not to approach it. So we stood there a while, and I think it was about a minute later, we started walking down there again, and I felt better about it. I was still apprehensive about going down there, but I didn't get that message to stay back. And about halfway down to where this uh, was standing, my cousin dropped to the ground. And he's looking under the trees, and he said, there's two more right over there, and I can see their feet and their legs.
0: <laughs> oh, my do you never told me <laughs> this part before.
1: And uh, then I could hear this uh, grunting noise, <clears> this <throat> real loud grunting, and you could hear this. You ever listen to a big animal like an elk or a moose run off? You oh, Yeah. I could hear that, and it just was like something big and heavy was running away. And I told my cousin, I said, let's go over. There's a clearing. I knew there was a clearing over here. Let's go over there and see if we can see something. As soon as we started to go over there, I got that telepathic message again. Stay back. Do not approach. And it just sounded so intimidating. So I told my cousin, I said, we're getting... I'm getting this message again. So let's kind of hang off here a minute. And I think it was about 30 seconds, 30, 40 seconds later, uh, we walked over to the uh, clearing, and I, I didn't get another telepathic message to stay back. And when as soon as I got there, I, there was a hill about, oh, I don't know, three, 400 feet away. And I could see three animals just clearing the top of this hill, like their heads. I it was just for a split second, and then they were gone. Uh, I don't know. I can't say if they were a Bigfoot or not. I'm sure they were what we were looking at, but you know, I I didn't couldn't get a real good long look at them and and that that was basically it
0: now now i've been to this part of the country like i've spent a lot of time in that part of utah and let me tell Mm -hmm. you it is not like the old growth forests of the pacific northwest i mean this is right scrubby junipers and sagebrush and we're not talking about a a massive wilderness where a remnant population of gorillas could hide you know
1: This is yeah. This this was all juniper and pinyon pine, and they were the direction they were headed was down to the lower sagebrush valley. Yeah, and there's there's washes, deep washes that zigzag all all over out through there. And one of my theories, uh, after doing all this research and talking to people that showed me footprints and and their sightings and the direction that they saw the the Bigfoot-type creature moving, I think that they, uh, my theory is I'm thinking that they moved between the uh, Book Cliffs and the uh, Boulder Mountains through this area and through the San Rafael instead of going all the way around through the Manti and down through Fish Lake and then mm-hmm. down, it would probably, It probably... Cut three quarters of their distance off, but like I say, it's just one of my theories.
0: Now, when you saw the sighting, you've told me that you had a um, there was a, the 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 big Sasquatch creature was standing near a tree, right? Mm-hmm. And you could you could get an estimation of his height by the by measuring the tree. Right.
1: Yeah, I went the next day. I took a tape measure and a friend of mine, and we measured. Up to where I saw this branch, uh, it was about at the top of its head, and it measured eight and a half feet. Wow! But this thing, when it, we were looking at it, they they hunch over, and if they stood straight, it would probably be nine and a half feet or more.
0: <laughs> wow! And did you find any footprints like near that?
1: We did. Uh, I found we found one set. We didn't find any there, but we found some about oh maybe an eighth of a mile from there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: like it was like they were, was, something was crossing the road, and then it was up on the bank and it was headed up the side of the hill. And uh, I went out there that winter. I went back there and look, and I've got pictures of footprints that are like eight feet apart, (laughs) single file, Mm -hmm. like they, like they walk. And I got the same footprint, the same winter down in the San Rafael. So I'm hoping that, uh, that kind of sheds some light on it for me on this theory of mine of that, it travels, you know, between the two mountain ranges.
0: And and did you take plaster casts or just photographs of the of the prints? Well,
1: I just got photographs of okay. them, but I do have plaster casts of footprints taken out of the UNA Mountains, mm-hmm. out of up uh, by Camas, uh, on the uh, Hoyt Peak area. Mm-hmm. But anyways, back to Daryl, and I was thinking, okay, this is what Daryl was uh, telling me to be prepared for. And like a ding-dong, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have any cameras. I didn't have nothing with me. But uh, when I had this dream of Daryl telling me this, I had another dream right after that. And this is... I kind of got ahead of myself when I told you this story. Because I had another dream between deciding and and Daryl's dream. And in this dream it's weird. Something woke me up and I can remember getting out of bed and going into the living room. And this Sasquatch appears in my living
0: room. Let me just interrupt. So so are you awake and in the living room or do you feel this is a dream state?
1: I think I am. I, I don't know. Everything seems so different. It seems like an altered reality. It, it's weird. It's like that owl I told you about, mm-hmm. the same feeling that I saw in the driveway. And But this Bigfoot is only like seven foot high. He's a small one. And he calls me my brother. And he says, Daryl sent me to see you.
0: Ooh, can I just interrupt? Did it say, did the words come out of his mouth or was this telepathic?
1: It was telepathic. Okay, thank you. Everything Mm -hmm. was telepathic. And he asked me, he says, I would like to take you to to meet my family. We have families just like you do. (laughs) And I says, sure, let's go. And before we left, He gave a prayer and asked God, in the name of Jesus, to protect us while we went. This is what, it was strange. And so he turns into a pillar of light. I turn into a pillar of light. And we reappear in this, it looks like a cave. And there's other Bigfoot in there. And they're eating, tearing this deer apart and eating on it. And they offered me a piece of it, and I told them no, thank you. <laughs> and they were telling me, "This is these are my parents, these are my brothers and sisters." And they says, "We see we have a family structure just as you do in your reality." And it's weird, but apparently, I guess they travel. But I don't travel interdimensionally. But I don't know. This seems so dreamlike, but it seems real. But uh it, it's hard to explain.
0: Now I'm gonna so, so Whitley Struber's wife Anne um uh catalogued a lot of letters that had arrived at the, their home after the publication of the communion in the in the late nineteen eighties and she said the number one sentence that would reappear and reappear within these letters was the line i had a dream that wasn't a dream and so yeah. so when you're i can hear you fighting to describe this now i have some experiences too that i that i fight to say like like i think it was a dream but i'm not sure and and i can i can hear that 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 in your voice that same tension to of trying to understand yeah. what it might have been
1: i i i i just I want to know that it's like when I saw that uh four foot tall owl that I told you about it was the same thing. I woke up, went into the living room, and it it was just i don't know I don't know what word I'm looking for surreal or it was different <laughs>
0: And then keep going, cause where you went out to the front porch.
1: Oh yeah, I went out onto the front porch, and this was, I don't know, it must have been early in the morning, two, three a.m. or something like that. And I went out on the porch, and I could. What's weird is I could feel the cold concrete on my bare feet, and I went out and I could feel the breeze blowing. And I'm looking, and there's a glow out in the. Out in my driveway, and there's this four foot tall, and I I I I'm not saying four feet to be exact. I'm just it's approximate. It's just a one big ass owl, <laughs> <laughs> and it's standing there looking at me, and it's got like two horns coming off the top of its head, and it's never says nothing. It just watches me, and then. Wow, I'm thinking, am I awake? I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out if I'm awake or not. So I go back into the house, and I said, I can see that again. So I went back out onto the porch again, but he was gone. <laughs> but I remember standing there, and I could feel the cold concrete on my feet. And I could feel a breeze blowing. I remember the, 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 there was a slight breeze.
0: And then so back to the Bigfoot where you're in the cave with the family mm-hmm. how did that end
1: it uh we were there, and he was telling me that uh the their family structure was like ours they had parents they had siblings and then he said it's time for you to go back and then he says, "You're my brother, and you always will be and then I turn into a pillar of light, and then I reappear in the living room. And I'm standing there, and I'm thinking, "Gosh darn, this is weird. This did this happen? Was it live or was it memorized? What, what is it? You know." And so I go back to bed. I get in bed, and I'm just—I think I laid there awake until morning, just thinking about it. And I'm thinking, "This is." what uh, Daryl was telling me to be uh, prepared for. I was thinking this was it. And then after this, it was like, I don't know, two, three months or so. Then I had the Bigfoot encounter.
0: Okay, so it came in that order.
1: And this, uh, then I knew that that's what it was that I was supposed to be prepared for.
0: Here's the question. Do you think the being you saw, the Bigfoot that you saw standing by the tree, do you think that was... Did you meet that one in the cave?
1: The one that was in the
0: house? No, the one that you went to the cave because you said the one in the house was only seven feet tall. Oh,
1: I do. I do. I got a real strong feeling it has something to do with this dream I had. I really do. And the cousin I took... With me up there to show him that had the sighting when I was mm-hmm. with me when I had the sighting. He's the one, he became my partner. <laughs> and I didn't realize this before, but he's had experiences with beings coming, you know, like I have, like you have. Your cousin. And I did not, yeah, my cousin. The cousin and that I, was in
0: the Jeep with you, you found yeah. out afterwards he had had experiences.
1: Afterwards, he's had experiences with UFOs. He's had a UFO that has been following him for like six years everywhere he goes this UFO's there <laughs> and uh, he was telling me about it. and I did all this time he always kept it to himself he never told me about it and I was totally shocked and I told him about my experiences and a lot of them were pretty similar to his
0: this is this is. And it so... just blew my mind. Yeah, it's blowing my mind here too. Now, so I just want a couple things. Um, you were offered food in the in the cave. Right. I now, was offered. Uh, now mm-hmm. that's a that's an ancient Celtic myth. Like if the fairies bring you to their fairyland, which is usually underground. And yeah. they offer you food, which is very common. You get offered food. You're not supposed to eat it. That's like a thing. Like, don't eat the food if yeah. you're offered food in Fairyland. And I can't help but see that. You know, you were offered food in... in why did you choose not to eat the food?
1: Because it was raw. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good. Fair enough. And then earlier I, on...
1: I, hold on. Yeah. Uh, I tried some raw deer meat once years ago. And it's believe me, it's not good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, um, so... But earlier on, when we when we started the talk, you said, you know, I was where I was talking about owls and you said, wow, I have all these experiences with deer. So here we have deer in the presence of of the of this big wild paranormal experience. that doesn't have seemingly anything to do with UFOs or aliens, but is somehow interconnected with this. With It's to me, it's like these phenomena are linked somehow. It's tough to right. know how they are. Yeah. but That's sure. My sense is they're all linked.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure where the, how the link is, but... Well, you have even like, death like, All in this, this is
0: <laughs> And you even have death as part of the link here, too, where this story yeah. seems to have been, you know, it been, like, the presentation, how to say this, like, um, it sure feels like Daryl basically mm-hmm. asked the Bigfoot to do this as a favor to him.
1: Right. Yeah, it... it... It's odd. I, I think about it, but all I can do is speculate on what it
0: is. Well, now, in, the, in your written work, you said that the... Here, I'll just read what you wrote here. Uh, the Bigfoot tells me you're my brother, just as Daryl is, mm-hmm. forever and all eternity. Mm-hmm. Hugs me, then disappears in a flash of light. And did that happen in your home? Or did that happen in the cave? No, that
1: happened in the dream. Okay. And then I turned into a a pillar back into a pillar of light and then reappeared in my living room. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it it I've got so much stuff to to remember. It's hard to remember everything exactly.
0: I I have to tell stories all the time and I always leave stuff out. It's hard. So I'm just I'm just thinking you got hugged by a Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And and um and. Daryl ever call you his brother?
1: No, not that I can remember.
0: Okay. Great, okay, just I was just wondering.
1: But another weird coincidence. Okay, when I became... Okay, Daryl was... I was working with Daryl, and I knew Daryl for Daryl for five years. And then he died. Okay, my cousin... When he became my partner, he was with me for five years, and he died. He just unexpectedly died. <laughs> and he's, he's only, he was only like 49 years old. <laughs> and so now I've been trying to find
0: another partner, but nobody wants to be my partner. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't tell them that story. If, you're, if you're, um, uh, Now, so your cousin, here I'll ask, did your cousin, has your cousin reappeared in any way?
1: Not yet, but uh, I don't know why, but I get a real strong feeling that he's going to show up in a dream or as a apparition or something. I don't know. I've been trying to do EVPs, trying to contact them, but I haven't received anything yet.
0: Okay. Hey, here's one funny little story. I came to your house. This was probably 2009, 2010. And right. um, we went out to lunch or something. I remember, and uh, but you had a crystal, a crystal pendulum with you, and I had oh, had yeah. never used a pendulum before. And you turned me on to these little pendulums, and yeah. so the crystal pendulum is something you would see like in Sedona at a crystal shop, and the and the people right. who use pendulums. Let me tell you, you do not fit the the. Like you do not seem like the kind of person who would use a crystal pendulum. And how uh, did you...
1: I I do occasionally.
0: And I do occasionally too. I have one that I use sometimes. I bought it in Moab and it's I'm actually holding it in my hand. I keep it on my desk. I every once in a while will get stuck in my research and I'll ask it a question, like, you know, should I go this way or that way? Should I follow this lead or that lead? And it it'll give me a yes or no answer to those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Um but you had a funny story about how you found the pendulum, how, or let me say how yeah. the pendulum found you.
1: Yeah, the pendulum found me. Uh, this is weird. We had a, uh, uh, I, I heard about a new. Um, spiritual shop. I, I don't know what. I don't know if that's the right name to use.
0: Sure, that's as good as any. Yeah. Uh,
1: spirituality store, or whatever. And anyways, I was Marley was always trying to get me to get a pendulum. So I finally found it where this store opened up at and I went in there and it was called Grandma Tilly's <laughs> and I walked in there and she had this wall full of pendulums hanging there. And I'm thinking, Wow I said, oh, those are some nice ones, but they look like they're gonna be pretty expensive. And all of a sudden, I'm talking to uh, Grandma Tilly, and I'm telling her some of my ET experiences and stuff. And uh, we're talking back and forth. And I'm looking at watching this one pendulum up on the wall, and that thing is just swinging back and forth, going crazy. (laughs) And I told Grandma Tilly, I said, look at that. Look at that pendulum up there. And she goes, oh, my gosh. She says, that's your pendulum. That pendulum wants to go with you. And she gave it to me. I kept telling her. I said, let me pay for it. She says, no. She says, "Your this pendulum belongs to you. And it was just weird. It's just,
0: and I think when you I told me the there. story years ago, you said that the... Um... Like, she kind of laughed because she said that people would come into the store and try the pendulums, and, right. and, and they wouldn't no one work. could get that one to swing.
1: Right. This one was uh, kind of an oddball. It uh, Nobody could get it to work. She couldn't even get it to work until I came in. Then the thing went crazy and started swinging back and forth. I still got it. I got it right here.
0: I'm holding mine right now as we're talking, yeah. Yeah. This is so funny because I feel like I don't really use the pendulum much. Every once in a while, I'll ask a question, and I'm cautious to trust it. And from my experience, I think if you ask a question that's too personal, yeah, like that's like if you're in a crisis moment or if you're like super frustrated and you say, "Oh, I need an answer to this this issue," and try to use the pendulum, you're going to get static. It's going to you're not going to get a good answer. I think you almost have to ask for other people. Well, it's weird.
1: When I ask for silly stuff, it doesn't do anything it just sits there
0: <laughs> oh i get that too where it's almost it almost feels like it's like i couldn't hold it that still it's like eerily still
1: yeah yeah and then i've even tried uh hanging it off of uh something and not hold it and try it and i've had it move a little bit
0: but yeah yeah that was funny yeah we were in a little diner in 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 a, rural part of utah and let me tell you we were eating grilled yeah. sandwiches and i don't think many people <laughs> we you had a pendulum and we were going back and forth playing with this pendulum i don't think there's many folks in that diner that have played with pendulums over the years it's not that kind of place
1: no they they probably was looking hmm
0: but um hey um here let me just try something i'm gonna just try something here right, i got my pendulum here um i'm gonna ask I'm going to, here, let me just move the microphone a little bit. There we go. So I got my pendulums over my desk. I'm going to ask your cousin, who's since passed, I'm going to ask the pendulum, will he reappear? I'll ask for you. Will Ron's cousin reappear at any point soon with a message? I don't know about yours,
1: but mine's swinging.
0: (laughs) Mine's doing these little circles. It sometimes takes a little while to start. It'll give you these little circles. Yeah, yeah mine's got the little Thank circles going. Okay, you're getting a very gentle, yes. Now it's getting a little stronger. A stronger, yes. Great. Wow, there, it's nice and strong. Yeah, it takes. sometimes it takes this one a little. Well, this one went through the laundry one time. I had it in my pocket, and it's all dented and oh. chipped and stuff now. It <laughs> still gives me good responses, but it looks like a, it looks, it doesn't look like it's off the rack from the new age store anymore. Um, yeah. And I'll add in that earlier on, like when we were talking mm-hmm. at the very beginning of this interview, and this may go back to a previous episode now um, because we've gone well over an hour here. Uh, I put the microphone on mute while you were talking. And then mm-hmm. I asked about the event with the light bulb man, the light bulb head man, mm-hmm. and that concrete slab, which was a very disturbing story. And I even asked at the time, you know, like this sounds like could be easily seen as some sort of sexual predator taking advantage right. of a young boy.
1: I've thought of that.
0: Yeah, and I asked the pendulum, you know, Ron's event on the, on the slab, was that a an event of a sexual predator? And it, it said no very strongly. So, oh, really? And I'm cautious to trust that, you know, but I, hmm. I, 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 I use it very cautiously as a tool, I guess, yeah. let me put it that way.
1: Yeah, there's that one part of me that's still, uh, what do I want to say, (laughs) science-minded?
0: Oh, and you should never turn that side of your mind off, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, you you have to be pragmatic, I guess. You know, you can't turn, you have to be both, right? You have to be open to extremely, uh, how to say it, you have to be open to the strangest, most most absurd or most not
1: everything is the easiest, simplest answer.
0: <laughs> exactly, but at the same time, you still have to you still have to wrestle with the the pragmatic stuff.
1: Right. Okay. After the uh, uh, experiences in Riverside, and after that in the dreams. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 1972, we moved to Utah to Price, Utah. And I went and got, in 73, I went and got this job in Grand Teton National Park at uh, Coulter Bay Village. And every other weekend, I would drive back and forth between Grand Teton and Price to visit my parents.
0: And, and I know that road so well. That was my stomping grounds for... 30 years or so. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's just right up there in your neck of the woods (laughs) at the time. And so I would make these trips back and forth. And this one time in August, it was just before the park was going to close down and uh, our job was over with, I left the house. I left my mom and dad's house in Prys. And the way I would go is I would drive up to – and go up Provo, and go up Provo Canyon and take 40 over to 80 and take 80 to Evingston and then go up from Evingston to Grand Tetons. And I left the house, and it was late in the afternoon, and I got to Evingston. It was about just a little bit before midnight, so I filled my truck up and I went in and bought a microwave burrito and a coke, <laughs> and I came out and ate it, and then I left and headed up north up uh, Wyoming State Highway uh, 89. Oh yeah, that this isn't. US 89. This is uh, Wyoming 89. And it goes back into Utah and then to uh, Woodruff and Randolph. (laughs) And as soon as I crossed back into Utah, it was right on the crest of a hill. There was a big, massive flash of white light. It was so bright, I couldn't even see inside my truck. I couldn't see the steering wheel. And everything went dead silent. I couldn't hear the engine running. I couldn't hear nothing. And then the light was there for maybe five seconds or so, and then it was gone. And I expected myself to still be driving, but I was parked in the bar ditch on the side of the road. The engine was off and apparently I'd been there for quite a while. And so I got out of the truck and I'm looking around, I'm wondering what the hell just happened? What happened? You know. Trying to figure out, put some reason to this, you know. And finally I said the heck with it, I'll just Get in and take off and go back to work. So I got in, got into my truck, pulled out of the bar ditch and drove drove on towards Grand Teton. And what was weird, I only had about 175 miles to go. And when I drive, I drive 60, 65 miles an hour. And when I, I had to be to work at 9 a.m. in the morning. And when I got there, I was 45 minutes late. <laughs> and this is arriving at Coulter Bay Village. I was 45 minutes late for work at that point of time. And I'm trying to put reason to this. And it was probably 12.30 past midnight when I left Evingston. And then this happened. And from where the flash of light occurred, I only had 175 miles to go. And it took me eight and a half hours to drive 175 miles. (laughs) That don't seem right. And that night, uh, after work, when I went back to my dorm, uh, a deer showed up at my door. It was like about 3 a.m. in the morning.
0: That night?
1: Yeah, that same night. And this darn I heard this noise at the door, and I got, it woke me up, and I got up, went and opened the door, and there's this doe standing in there. And we're watching each other, looking at each other. And I'm thinking,
0: how in the hell
1: did this doll get inside here? This is inside the dorm.
0: It's in the building.
1: In the building, inside the
0: building. Was anyone else, did anyone else see it?
1: No. Nope. nope. Just me. And uh, so we stared at each other for probably 15 15- 20 seconds and then the dough just started backing off and then it turned around but it kept its head turned back at me and walked all the way down the hallway.
0: With its head facing you? What's that? It walked the whole length of the hallway with its head looking at you?
1: Yeah just looking at me like it knew where to go and I'm out in the hallway just watching it you know thinking wow this is something you know and it goes all the way down to the end where there's double doors that have those bar latches that you push to open, Mm -hmm. like in school. Okay, there was two of them, one on each end of the uh, hallway inside the dorm. And it gets down there, and then the door just opens up, (laughs) and the deer walks out the door. The oddest thing I ever saw in my life.
0: (laughs) Now... This is 45 years later or whatever this would be. What So you would have been about, that would have been early 70s, and now it's 2020?
1: Yeah, that, that was probably, See, I graduated in 71. That'd be 17, 18. I was probably about 19, 20 years old, right along in there somewhere.
0: Okay. So hearing that story now, I don't think I'm putting any, like, Ideas into your mind that you haven't thought about. Um, that sounds like a screen memory where you're dealing with a right. psychic projection, and yeah, and there probably wasn't a real deer in the hallway. There very well could have been something in the hallway, but it yeah, doesn't that that's certainly a, how a deer would open those double doors and how a deer would walk with its head turned around. Just it doesn't like yeah. it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. That uh, not at the time. <laughs> well, even at the time. It it seemed odd, the behavior of this deer. And I knew, and I mean it was real strong in my mind, it was almost psychic, almost like a psychic feeling that it it had something to do with that experience I had with the light coming up and then being parked in the uh, bar ditch for as long as I had been. But I one thing I remember, I, we did a, uh, uh, did, me and Marley done a regression on this. And uh, she took me back to that time when the flash occurred. And all we got out of it was I drove into the bar gift, ditch, shut the truck off. I got out, went into, there was an alfalfa field <laughs> right where I pulled off the road and I went out and stood in it and I was looking at this big white light that's enveloping my truck and the, and the whole entire road and I can see the top of a uh, some kind of a craft sticking out out of it. It's round has a like a pointed top and it's got rectangular windows going all the way around this thing and right after this I started having a, uh, right after the encounter, not the uh, regression, but right after the encounter, I started having a recurring nightmare that uh, involved a, uh, was either a building or a craft of some sort like the one I saw in the uh, <coughs> regression, <coughs> excuse me. But anyways, and in this recurring nightmare I had, I've had this, this lasted for about three years until about 1976. But it would have started out, I'd be standing out in the country somewhere. Uh, It seemed like Utah, Utah but I I don't, I'm not really sure where it was at, but I'm standing there and there's a round building floating in the air and a ramp going up to it. And when I wrote this dream down originally, I still didn't know that much about UFOs and I didn't call it a a craft or a UFO. I called it a round floating building. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, I slowly walk up this ramp, and I know it's floating because I can see shrubs and uh, plants and different things underneath it. And so I walk up this ramp, and there's what looks like a set of uh, double doors that are, there's an opening there that looks like might be for like French doors, but there's no doors there. And I walk into this, uh, it's a torus-shaped room. It's like a donut. It goes all the way around. And if you walked all the way around, you'd end up where you started. And so I start walking around this torus. And I'm looking, and I'm on the inside, and there's these big rectangular windows. And... Everything is rounded, curved. Uh, the ceiling seems to c- come down and curve into the walls, and then it curves back into the floor that I'm walking on. And in between each window, there's what looks like a beam coming from the center of this porous or donut-shaped room down and it disappears into the floor and everything looks like it, it it's beautiful everything is one piece that looks like it's injected mol- injection molded
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: uh, it's a uh, black shiny it's almost like a porcelain it looks porcelain but doesn't feel porcelain like porcelain and so I'm walking around, and there's people lying on the floor on both, on both sides of me. There's all kinds of people, every race, every color, child, both male and female, uh, infants. <laughs> and I'm wondering, what the heck are, what's all these people doing laying here? And I'm wondering about them. So I walked oh, so Let
0: me interrupt. Were, were there adults, too, in among these people? Yes.
1: Okay, got it. Adults, kids, babies, uh, uh, Japanese people, European people, every race, color you can think of. And there's a lot of them. And so I'm walking around this thing. I get about halfway around this torus state and there's a uh, arched doorway leading to the center that would be in the area where the donut hole would be <laughs> and so i walk over that way and the anxiety inside me is just building and it's getting worse and worse and i feel like i'm ready to explode and so i walk into this doorway And there's a stairway goes down a level. And this hallway is just wide enough for me to fit in. And the ceiling is real close to my head. And so I start walking down the stairs, and I get down into the hallway below it, and it's dark, but yet I can see. It's like there's ambient lighting. I don't know where it's coming from. It's just there. (laughs) And... I start walking down, and there's doors on both sides. But these doors are only about, they come up to about the top of my nose or the bridge of my nose. And I'm walking on down, and the hallway comes to an end, makes a right-hand turn, a 90-degree turn. But just before I get there, on the left side, there's a door that's partially open. And the anxiety is building up even more. The fear is just, you know, I I want out of here. God, get me out of here. And I know there's something in that room I don't want to see. And it's just scaring the hell out of me. And so I stand in there a while. And then after a moment, I take off running past the open door and make the turn. And as I run past the open door, I look in and what looks like a a stainless steel table in the middle of the room, and there's somebody lying on it. And so I just keep on running down the hallway trying to get away from this, and I go down to the end of that hallway and make another right-hand turn, and I run down that hallway and come to a dead end. And there's a door on the left. And I slowly push it open and I look inside. And it's a small room, about 20 by 20 square, 20 feet by 20 feet square. And in the center of the room is a a pedestal with a chair on it, an armless chair. And if you sit on it, I didn't sit on it at that time, but if you did and look at the wall, there's what looked like a giant chalkboard there. And this room had the real strong feeling of school for some reason to me. And so I th- tell myself, I want to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I can't stand this. The anxiety is just about ready to kill me. So I go back out and I run down the hallway, back the way I came, turn go down there and then I stop because I know that open door is there on the you know when I after I make the corner after the turn and then I oh sitting there I think god I don't want to go past this I don't want to go past it and I said I got to I got to get out of here God help me you know and so I take off running and as I run past the open door I look inside and can see there's somebody li- lying on a table in there So I run over, keep on running past, go to the stairs, go up on top, come back out into this big torus-shaped room. And then the anxiety, about half of it's gone. I feel a lot better that I'm out of that dungeon. (laughs) And so I slowly start walking on around, and I'm looking at all these people. And finally I come back around to where I entered, and I go out the door down the ramp, step off the ramp and I wake up and usually when I wake up I wake up in a big jerk or sweaty and it just scares, it's scary scares the hell out of me and I had this dream over and over and over exactly the same exactly the same every time I'd have it except three years later when I had it when I was running back and I stopped at the, just before the open door. Instead of running past it, I walked around the corner and then pushed the door open. And I walked inside. And then this uh, being raises up off the table. And he's looking at me. And then he says, Ron, he says, it's about time you finally decided to come in and see me. And so I walk over to him, and he has me get down right in front of his face, and then we almost touching noses, <laughs> and we're just staring at each other. And we're that way for like three, four minutes. It like a long time, and it felt like he was downloading information into me. And then he backs off, and he says, Ron, he says, Don't be afraid of what's happening to you. He says... uh don't be afraid. This, has to, this ha- has to take place. And he says, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go back. And I will be seeing you soon. And all the fear is gone. It's just a feeling of nothing but pure love. It's almost like ecstasy. It's, 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 I've never had a loving feeling like that before in my life. And so I slowly walk out the room. I look at them, turn the corner and walk down the hallway, walk up the stairs, and uh, continue walking on around, looking at the people. And I know these people. In my mind, I know they're going to be okay. There's nothing wrong with them. Walk around to the where I entered, walk down the stairs, take a step off the, the ramp, and I wake up, and uh, never had the dream since.
0: <laughs> wow, that's a that's that, that, I mean that's a very beautiful ending to such a complex set of nightmare images. Yeah. I guess.
1: Now, this entity that was laying on the table in this dream, it's the same entity that I've been having encounters with between 2008 and 2010 with the name Elby. But this is a uh, a younger Elby.
0: And is this connected somehow to the event where you're where your car was on the side of the road when you were 19?
1: Yes. Yes. This dream dream started right after that experience. And um, I I know it's connected. All these experiences I have, I think are chronologically connected (laughs) to one another. Oh, yeah. The first part was... uh, Okay, the very first part when I was a kid seems like a uh, like a uh, prelude or a beginning, mm-hmm. and then the experience in uh, Riverside, California, and the dreams I had after that, the experiences seems like a like a purpose. Uh, seems like it was uh, for hybridization, and then. This experiences I've had after that, are more, conscious consciousness, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a uh, not a reason, but a uh, it's more like a uh, a reward. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. A reward for for. A re- Reward for going through all the crap, yeah. You know, in Riverside, and it seems like, um, oh boy, uh, this is really tough to talk about. <laughs> it seems like uh, it's a reward because of all the different experiences and places that LB took me to, and the things he let me do. He let me fly fly a craft. Uh, He he took me out into space to see the Milky Way from from a distance. He did all kinds of stuff with me. He took me to different dimensions. But uh, we'll get into that as this story progresses. Because there's still (laughs) before it happens before this.
0: Yeah, so I've been just looking at the clock. We've been at it for over a little over two hours now, and uh, this has been just great. And um, and I will uh, I'll, I'll I I'm not going to put this in one episode. I'll put it in two separate episodes, and then you know people can listen to it one at a time. And then there'll be a third, or who knows, fourth, fifth, who knows how long we'll go. I'm I'm not going to interrupt you too much, and I'm not going to try to to steer you in one direction right. or another. I just want to let you tell this story.
1: Yeah. Oh, I hope this is going
0: okay. Oh, it's going great. It's going great. I'm super happy how this is going. I think we're about the time when I should end this. We're into it about an hour and what I look forward to is coming back and continuing this and just following the story and letting you and letting you get it out, letting you get this story out. So let's just take a break now and we can come back at a at a future date and then keep going from this point. How's that sound? That sounds great. Let's do it. Great. Hey, thank you so much. This has been awesome. All righty. Sounds great. Great. Thanks again. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. As I said in the beginning, I have no idea how many episodes it might take to truly cover Ron's experience in the thoughtful way that it deserves. And I have really enjoyed talking with Ron, and I have really tried to step back from the role of formal interviewer and let Ron lead where he wants this conversation to go. Now if you want to reach Ron, you can find him through his blog where he posts about his Bigfoot research. And the blog is Utah Bigfoot Files, and that is Utah Bigfoot Files, all one word, at blogspot.com. He's also on Facebook, where he posts beautiful scenic photos of the Utah desert, including ghost towns and sunsets. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.